Welcome to another episode of Jazz Is Not What You Think. I'm your host, Michael Fagan, founder and publisher of Jazz Is Magazine. To learn more about Jazz Is, log on to jazziz.com. Now in its 32nd year, the award-winning Jazz Is Magazine has earned its reputation as the voice of a new jazz culture, a culture it helped create, presenting award-winning art, photography, and stories behind the music that you won't see anywhere else. If you've not seen a recent issue of Jazz Is, log on to jazziz.com for a preview. My guest for this edition is singer-songwriter and actress Melissa Manchester. Glad I'm here with you, and uh, and by the way, I, I'm bored with the Skype world too. Uh, if it weren't for my son, I wouldn't even know how to connect to you. That's right. <laughs> so now you're in. You're how long have you been in California? Oh, decades. Consider yourself uh, a New Yorker or a Californian? Uh, I'm a New Yorker, yeah. uh, but I've been here for a long time, and I just sort of have a sense of how this place works, and it's nice to have 70-degree weather in January. One of the first things I wanted to ask you, Melissa, is that you're an unusual artist and that my mother's very familiar with you, I'm familiar with you, my kids are familiar with you. Ah, uh, and and, <laughs> and how do you manage, what is the secret to staying relevant? Boy, that is a very powerful question, and I appreciate it. Um, I don't know what the secret is other than other than the fact that I am as hungry to do what I do as I was when I started off when I was 17, a really long time ago, I find this artistic walk so deeply interesting. I find this walk where you actually use your life in order to create your work mm -hmm. and, and uh, ins hopefully inspire people around you to help move all of you forward to continue doing the work. So I don't know the, the actual answer to the what is the secret part. I just know that I love what I do on a really deep level, and, um, and I've never wanted to walk away from it. Well, it shows. And, and you know, the, when I look at, you know, your, your work over the decades and, you know, everything from, you know, big-time pop to classics to musicals to movie soundtracks and to see Melissa Manchester have the most added album in smooth jazz radio. <laughs> I know. Isn't that wild? Totally wild. It's totally wild. But you know what part of the deal is for me personally is that as I get deeper and deeper and deeper into my career, the value of a song, the actual value of a song form resonates more brightly over and over to me because what I have seen over and over for for my audiences and audiences at large is that the actual song form can galvanize a nation, it can change a heart, it can save a life, it can clarify, it can enlighten, it can delight, it can educate, and really, and, and so succinctly, because all you have is three and a half minutes or four minutes, and the assumption is people will listen to you once and move on. So if you connect on that level with that tiny vehicle, it's, it's, I mean, that's real magic. That's real alchemy. I've always found it fascinating because it, you seem to have the knack for, you know, in the jazz world that I reside most often, the songs are typically much longer. 
Yeah. And so there's there's kind of a, a warming up, if you would, uh, uh, a, a democracy on the bandstand. There's a taking solos and then finally coming to some sort of, I guess, for yeah. like a better word, crescendo. You Absolutely. have to do it in a few minutes. Yes, that's true. There's no, you know, for, for me, jazz is like improv. It's like improv theater. Mm -hmm. And I am amazed at the, um, the capacity for people to just keep reaching deeper and deeper and higher and higher at the same time. And that's always been true for me with jazz. You know, when I was 15 years old and I had a, a poem published, it was about Horace Silver mm -hmm. uh, because I just, you know, I just couldn't believe what he was creating. Um, but yes, it, it, from the from the discipline that I've learned, uh, it is very succinct and every line has to move your story forward. Speaking about when you were 15, that was about the time when uh, I think you, I, I read somewhere where you reached out to Dionne Warwick. And, yes. <laughs> and tell me about that. Well, my sister and brother-in-law were kind enough to take me to the old Copa cabana in New York. And there she was, and I was just mad for her. Uh, she was in that group of magnificent singers who had magnificent songs written for them. And uh, so I went to see her. And the next day I wrote her a mash note, you know, a real fan letter. And it was just fantastic because, you know, she's touching my formative years so beautifully. And a week later, she wrote me the sweetest, most enthusiastic and encouraging letter back and I still have it and it was really touching and we have we have been around each other and in each other's lives for decades now and so it was magnificent when she agreed to sing on the album on You Gotta Love the Life um, on a song called um, uh, Other End of the Phone which was the last lyric that Hal David wrote and I composed music for it and of course she had built her career on the lyrics of Hal David. Yeah and isn't it also one of the last songs that Joe Sample recorded? Indeed. Absolutely. So it was just uh, it was just magnificent all around. I mean, the resonance. And I've been trying to work with Joe for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably dismissed me as some pop, you know, diva, whatever. Uh, but but because of Terry Woolman, you know, being being the connective tissue and, and getting me to to Joe, there was um, a certain gravitas. And, uh, you know, and I flew to Houston to work with Joe because he was starting to have um, physical challenges, but he was, he was magnificent. And as soon as you hear him play, nobody sounded like him. Nobody. Absolutely. So, so the connection was Terry. What's your connection with Terry? How did you hook up with Terry Woolman? You know, I've, I, I feel like I have known him forever, but, but the main thing was that when I started to um, teach at USC and my students, I teach at the Thornton School of Music. And when my students started to reflect to me what this new world of independent recording is like. Uh, they said, you know, they said, you should, you should become an independent artist like us. And I said, great, how do you do that? And so they would give me some information. But then Terry, um, who's a dear friend, had sat with my manager, Sue Holder and I, and, and gently told us how to walk into this world of being truly an independent artist and how to be able to work with beautiful musicians and and you know pay them as fairly as you could and start a fundraising campaign and make music and for me this being the 20th album i really wanted to pay tribute to how i started off uh you know 20 albums ago which was to bring great musicians into the studio and and make music you know have the collaborative discussion and really make music because Terry is such a mensch you know i said come along and do this with me and so he ended up co-producing and he was just fantastic. He's 
He's a true gentleman, a superb musician, spoke gently and lovingly with the musicians. And as I wrote in my liner notes, I really felt heard on a very deep level with him. So it was great. Uh, it's great. Well, you got to love the life. Uh, the opening track, as you've described and as we listen to it, really tells about your move from being you know, certainly a pop icon to an independent artist, which, as you just alluded to, it's a very interesting move for some very big artists in 2015 moving forward. Yeah, it is. Well, that song, You Gotta Live a Life, uh, you know, it was my anthem for my version of what show business has been like. You know, the audition is never over, as you well know. And Sharon and Vaughn and I wanted to really capture the essence of the grit of the everyday grind of being an artist, but the joy, you know, the, the joy that keeps sparking through. To have Lee Thornburg and Terry Wallman do the horns, and I, sit, I sat with Lee and Terry and I said, I want this to, I want the horns to reflect the skyline of New York where I grew up. I want to feel the grit of the concrete. I want to feel that, those, those rough, magnificent edges that keep you going. And they, they really captured it. I was thrilled. Oh, that's great. The other thing that I, I found out, in fact, I think it was announced today, talk about staying relevant. Um, Leanne Keegan, who is more known in the DJ world, you're doing something with, he's a producer and a remixer for those who don't know. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah, it, this is, I mean, this is completely whack, but. <laughs> but it's great whack. It's great whack. You know, uh, uh, he came to my attention through a, a man by the name of Jason Delman who who seeks out songs that might be remixed for dance purposes. So um, so the last single that we had out was the beautiful, I think, the beautiful duet that I did with my magnificent friend and colleague Al Giroux called Big Light, a song I wrote with John Prue. And uh, so they have remixed it for, for the dance world. And, you know, all of these... All of these opportunities to get music out in all different forms... Uh, is just sort of delightful and exhilarating because it's a world that simply never existed before. Yeah, and there's going to be 20-year-olds and, and teenagers who listen to a Melissa Manchester song and go to their parents and say, hey, have you ever heard of this artist, Melissa Manchester? <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly right. Well, now you've worked with Jero before. Actually, I Al was an artist on my label. and Really? Yeah, and, um, and John is a, a very fascinating kind of Chet Baker-ish uh, jazz artist. And the, yes. the way you connected with them, I, tell me about that. That's very fascinating. John is such a beautiful artist. Um, he has played with me on stage. Uh, his musicality is superb. He's also a professor. And I just love his musical sensibility. He has this huge um, facility for, for finding chordal voicings that just get under your skin and uh you know when you bring in musicians for me everything is about casting and when i brought in uh john to play on um you gotta love the life i knew that he would find those chords in between the spaces particularly going into the bridge um very often i work with equally brilliant stefan oberhoff mm -hmm. he and i usually tour together and so he works out a lot of the musical ideas on stage with me. He did the arrangement for Be My Baby and helped me arrange uh, from this moment on and let's face the music and dance. So, you know, I just surround myself with great guys and um, I don't have much of a, a taste for changing personnel. You know, if I like you and you seem to be a decent person and your talent is superb, 
don't know, I'm happy to keep you on the bus. So <laughs> I'm very lucky to to have worked with people over and over again. And of course, um, the percussionist on the album, Lenny Castro, I gave him his first job when he was 18 years old. I hired him for my band. He had just graduated from the High School of Music and Art. He was still wearing his high school jacket when he came to audition for me. And he's a monster. He is. He is. And now he, was that the connection between you and Al, Jarrell? Well, uh, on this, yes, actually on this, um, on this cut, because, um, Lenny was, it was one of his off days working for me and he was doing a session for Al and he called me and he said, Missy, Al's here. He wants to talk to you. And Al got on the phone and Al and I have toured together and we've recorded together, but Al got on the phone. He said, Hey, I understand you're making an album. Can I sing on it? (laughs) (laughs) And you know, none of these songs were constructed as, as duets. Uh, but when I thought of song that would resonate for Al, because as I refer to him as uh, the world's largest elf, uh, <laughs> I just felt that big light would be perfect for him because he's such a hopeful spirit, you know, and, and a song about hope and radiance and all of that. And it was beautiful when he came into the studio. It was a natural fit. Oh, that's great. Now, speaking of duets, um, one of my the songs that's most memorable to me, you wrote with Kenny Loggins, although... For the hit, he wound up singing it with someone else. Tell me about that time period in your life and writing that magnificent song. Yeah, Kenny and I uh, kept meeting each other because in the early 80s, the concept of televised award shows were brand new. And so they just kept showing up. And so Kenny uh, and I were paired up to be presenters and we would meet each other very often in the green room. And uh, at some point, you know, we got a little exasperated and asked if we could just, you know, just meet, just try to work on a song so he came over to my house one night and he had the idea for whenever I call you friend and we finished the song and I presented the song to Clive Davis who was not impressed with the song at all <laughs> and I, I said really you, you don't want me to record it even just because I wrote it with Kenny Loggins you know Loggins and Messina it's pretty hot stuff and he said it's okay nothing much and so Kenny went off to record it with Steve Nix, who always had a very high cool factor. And they had, um, you know, they had great success with it. Uh, I had run into Stevie Nix a couple of years ago and I you know, thanked her for that lovely performance. And I said, do you perform it? She said, no, it's the hardest song I've ever recorded, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which I don't get, but, but I, I understand it. And, um, but I, I perform it all the time. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a blessing for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, what a history. I mean, songs that you wrote sung by some of the greatest greats in the music business, Roberta Flack, Johnny Mathis, Peabo Bryson, uh, certainly Stevie Nicks and Kenny Loggins, Barbara Streisand. How does it feel being a singer yourself because of your songwriting skills, someone else takes a song of yours and runs with it? Well, it's magnificent because honestly, it's the way I grew up. You know, I grew up in a time and an age where great singers had magnificent songs written specifically for their voices by great songwriters. So when when I grew up later in my teen years and became a singer-songwriter, and it was that era, uh, it was particularly sweet to know that not only I would be recording my songs, but somebody else would uh, of great note and would bring their own energy and radiance to, to a song of mine. It was just magnificent. Well... You know, Oscar-nominated, Grammy-winning singer-songwriter, 
40 years, is it? 40 years of making music? Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Congratulations. The new album's wonderful. I can't wait to hear your next album. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, thank you for that. I'm not finishing, I'm not finished with supporting this one. But, and by the way, the video for You Gotta Love the Life uh, will be uh, revealed um, shortly, in a week or so. It's just breathtaking and uh, thank you for your support this is melissa manchester and you lucky people are listening to jazz is not what you think